One year, I kind of got an idea. You almost try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Purpose and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big traffic. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast with Jeremiah Wood. Great to be here. Great to have you guys here listening in. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotsbrose is the place to get your trapping supplies. They've got a full line of traps and all the associated accessories. They have lures and baits, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. You can mark your trap locations you can track, uh, run your track and follow uh, locations where you go. You can look at aerial imagery, landowner information, figure out whose land you are on, who's the landowner nearby, get their contact information. Maybe you can find some more trap, uh, trap line uh, locations based on who the landowner is. There's so many things that you can do with this. And when you get back into cell phone service, this thing will automatically sync to your desktop and to your phone so you'll never lose your information. Your phone breaks, uh, something goes wrong. Uh, you will never lose those waypoints of those tracks. They they automatically show up on the cloud uh, on onxmaps.com. So check them out, Onyx Maps. And if you purchase through the website, use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. It's 30 bucks a year for um, a one-year subscription to the app. It's a a great, great deal. You're going to use this for so many different things you're not going to believe. All right, guys. Well, thank you again. And in tonight's episode, we're going to do part four, the fourth and final part of our interview with uh, Billy Thompson, the old-time Maine trapper, and Charlie Tucker, the uh, northern Maine trapper who was featured on the History Channel show Mountain Men. A couple great guys uh, to talk trapping with, a lot of fun. And I've, I've gotten quite a bit of feedback from some of you guys listening in about how much you enjoyed listening to Billy and Charlie talk. So, uh, yeah, it's just another one of those episodes. We've got, uh, I, I'm going to provide a few links to some of the TV shows and books that we've mentioned. Um, mainly in this conversation, we talk uh, about, the sh- about reality TV, about Charlie doing the Mountain Man show, uh, 
some some other TV show stuff. And then we get into history. We talk a lot about trapping history, local history in this area as well as some other areas. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, bleeped out a few things, but overall there, there is a little bit of language if you got kids. So just keep that in mind. But uh, most of it's most of it's been made pretty tame. Um, yeah, so thanks guys so much. We're also brought to you by my book, Walter Arnold, Main Trapper, Stories from One of the Last Mountain Men. So check that out. You can find the book on Amazon. Just search Walter Arnold. Or you can uh, email me, jrodwood at gmail.com, and I'll send you my address. If you want a, a physical copy that I can ship to you, it's uh, it's about 20 bucks on Amazon. And if you want it to ship from here, from me, it'll be $22. Uh, that's shipping included. And if you want me to autograph it, I'm more than happy to do that as well. So just let me know, jrodwood at gmail.com. So uh, let's get into it and make sure to stay tuned for the special deal from Cots Bros at the end of the episode. This is a good one, and uh, I I think I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna be the first one on this deal. By the time you hear this episode, I've probably already purchased um, uh, from CotsBros.com to get take advantage of this deal. It's pretty sweet. All right, guys, thanks again. Get in touch with me with anything. Um, I've got a little bit of feedback on doing something this summer. Uh, a little bit of like a, maybe a Zoom call, something, some sort of a call where we can, a bunch of us trappers can get together and talk about different things. So uh, you got any ideas, shoot them my way and uh, let's get into the episode. I'll show you someday what I was using. I won't tell everybody, but I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. Because I know you'll be trapping. I hope so. You know what I mean? I hope so, yeah. Yeah, you're actually one of the few in this town. At your age, we you, <laughs> when you I, look at it, town after town, same thing. Yeah, I remember reading the main yep. trapper newsletter, something about the towns with the highest number of trappers, and Ashland was the number one in the state for number of trappers who bought licenses. And I don't really know that there's not that many anymore. There's, there's a few made by licenses, but they're not trapping. Most of the licenses are. Bought for trapping, now it's bear. That's right, yeah. And yeah. if you go to the main trappers thing, there's always 50 or 60 guys they're taking going the course, the course so they can go bear trapping. And trapping. they're not yeah. trapping nothing but right. bear. They're, yeah. they're doing it to go catch a bear. Yeah. And uh, But it's a good opportunity for somebody, you know, right now trying to get going because there's not any competition. No and competition. You can learn a lot. And you can learn today on the computer. More than you ever imagined. Well, look at Alex. He, oh, yeah. He, he learned straight from oh, the yeah. When I was a kid growing up, if I wouldn't have had my father teaching me, those old guys wouldn't tell you nothing. No. Nope. There was a woman in town here that would do a lot of guys beaver. And she was only that doll. And she would uh, She did a lot of beavers for her husband. He always caught close to 200 beaver under the ice. Really? Clyde Leach, his, yeah. wife, his wife, my grandmother's sister. She was a putra. Yep, she would do a lot of beaver for people. She was good at it. How'd she flush him? She flushed him. I, I never watched her. Somebody, I, I thought. I somebody. heard I, she'd tack him to the wall. 
Yeah. They hung on the wall and she'd peel them down at her level. Really? She'd peel them down that way. Some guys used to do it with a sharp spoon, I've heard. Yeah. And other people did it with a sharp hole. They'd hang them yeah. and just scrape on them. I don't know what she used for, you know, the iron, what she would use. But I heard that she hung them on the wall. She liked a lot of fat on them. Yeah. And she would start, whether she was doing all with a knife, I don't know. But it was on the wall, what I heard. But I never seen her do one. Yeah. Hmm. I've done those on my knee, like the guy on the... On that YouTube video. Video yeah. there. Yeah. And you can't do a beaver that's been froze. Oh, freezing If you beaver. try to do one that's gone and froze, that membrane is different. It changes oh. it, and it's almost impossible. But you take a fresh one. I did one when, when Harold was here, remember? Yeah. And seven minutes. First yeah. one I ever did. I can't imagine doing it that fast. Hey, Pearl Eastman always done it on the knee. Yeah, a lot of the old guys did. Yeah. My father always clean skin his. Pearly was a good beaver trapper. But we'd clean skin on a blanket beaver in 20 minutes with a good knife. Wow. But it's hard on your back. You had to be right down on your knee and you did it on the floor. And you just had to have that pressure on it all the time. Huh. But you'd still have to clean up some when you put it on the board. You'd, we was fussing, we cleaned up a lot. But I've found over the years that even fleshing them like we do, we're too fussy. Especially really? in the spring. You set them out in the sun and that melts right together it and does, it looks good. Yeah, it does kind and of. And it looks yeah, like shit when you too. put it on, don't it? I've taken pictures of it and guys just told me like what are you going to do about that spot and that you know the white spots yeah and i said well they usually go away after a few days yeah they put a little sawdust yeah. on them and stuff yeah. but we always put them by a stove too and they dry good hmm. a lot of people put them in a building that had no heat and they'd they'd freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw and they'd take them and get just as much as we would well that's the thing if there's a good market yeah they, and it didn't make hmm. sense I can't take, I take a beaver from the truck into the shed, from start to finish I'm an hour. I yep. can't, I can't I'm see not, You've got a good hour in those beaver. Hour, hour and ten, hour and fifteen. By the time you, you skin it, flush it, put it on the board, take it off the board, you got actually over an hour in a beaver. Oh yeah. I don't care who you are. That's what There's I've guys that too. can say they, they, they can do them in so much time. I want to see it done with consistency. It's just like any fur, whether it's Martin, Fisher, Mink, Kyle, Fox. You might be good at doing certain things, but it don't end there. Yeah. It, it's still got to be taken care of. You know, you, you just don't take that off the board, throw it over in the corner. You know, yeah, a lot of guys do. You got to take care of it all the time. Like you take got, it and sell it. A lot of guys it. skin the coyote and just turn him and put him right on a wooden board. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. And stink, don't they yeah. stink? And... They rot. Yeah. See, that's something I don't have a hard. I have a hard time with laws when you go right back to killing coyotes and killing beavers when, when you don't do nothing with them. Throw them away. Like the guys down the road that get uh, twenty coyotes hanging from yeah. the, from the pole. There, it's like why? Yeah. You know, of course, I understand they want to show that they I killed twenty coyotes yeah. or whatever. But man, they're just hanging there rotting. They're hanging themselves because eventually somebody's going to see it. That's what pisses off and the Annie's the most, I think. They're hurting themselves and don't even yeah. know it. Yeah. 
I see, I ride by those coyotes in the spring and I just shake my head Shame. because coyotes been the best item for the last five years I know. to do. I know, the guy's got probably $1,000 hanging from that pole. Yep. Yep. But. That's why I won't do no fur for nobody. No way. You should try to help them out and they just let the stuff they think that They think if, if you was to tell that guy that's got those coyotes hanging that you'd split with him, he'd think you was making too much money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you throw them away and get nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. It doesn't make no sense, does it? No. And <laughs> if the right guy did them up, he should take them to that guy and give them to him and let him do them and then take a picture of them after they were done. He'd have the right. same thing. Yeah, the same thing. Yeah. And I'm surprised the state hasn't got after it. More. I know and it's I a think good they, thing uh, to fight the deer paw. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's right. It's, it's a good thing. It's but, a good thing. But, boy, it looks awful. I'll tell you what, though, when you take your fur into Fur Buyer and they look through it and say, you know, you did a really good job with this put up. It's yeah. a good feeling. There's a lot of pride yes, it is. associated with it's that. It's better than having them tell you, look, this got to be done, this got to be done, that's got to be done. Yeah. And, and you can only tell people if you're the Fur Buyer. You can only tell them so much. Because, yeah, and you, you've you bought fur for a lot of years. Right? A lot of years. And if you over said that they didn't know what they were doing, they wouldn't go to you ever again because you didn't know nothing. Right. But you were supposed to buy it and lose money. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But it isn't that way. It's just a, people are so different. Another thing, people, like I say, it isn't taught enough. Everybody thinks trapping is the most inhumane. But when you really look at it, trapping is probably the best way to manage any wildlife. Really. When you come right back down to it. A hunter goes out and hunts, and he's going to shoot X amount of animals in his lifetime that he never found. I guarantee you. Going to wound them and... A trapper, when he goes to that trap, it's the most humane way. You've either got a dead animal in that trap, you've got a live animal you can let go or kill then. So you go by the law. If you're going by the law, 100%, trapping is still the most humane way to manage anything. Just like even on a, on a farm where you raise game, you know, pets or whatever. That guy that comes there every day to take care is going to be more humane than the guy that's shooting with a gun. And I know a lot of people don't understand that. That's what I'm saying. We have not taught all the people out there and what we're supposed to do and what we do do. And there's a natural resource, that I've said this before, that just gets thrown away if you didn't do it right. And, and you don't do that in trapping if you're doing it by law and doing it the way it's supposed to be done. I know of deer hunter after deer hunter who shot wounded deer and never found them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know of moose Everybody hunters. Has. I know of bird hunters. Everybody has done that. And, of course, Mother Nature recycles all that. You know, oh, yeah. Nothing gets wasted. Nothing gets wasted. But with trappers, it's direct. We're the it's ones used. that are the worst on the earth as far as everyone is concerned. <laughs> yeah. But we are the best. But people are coming around to that. You know, well, there's some people, and I mean, tra it's tough with trapping because fur prices are low. Nobody's trapping, and there's a lot of antis. But we got, we do have a lot of young people that are 
interested and they want to learn more about trapping. And, you know, we got on this show, we got about a thousand people every week that are listening in. And a lot of them have trapped. I did a survey a while back and like 40% of the people that listen have trapped for less than five years. Yeah. And so there are people that are like interested in it. They want to get going trapping and they don't really have uh, any experience with it. So this is this is where they start. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm I'm a radical thinker, and, and I, I say things, and you go right back to humans. Uh, I'd much rather be caught in a foot trap that I lost my foot in as a human than to be killed instantly. Yeah. That's my choice. Okay? If you catch an animal in a trap and you let it go, it's a lot smarter. Might not never get caught again. And it's going to pass on more to its own offsprings. But if you kill it instantly, it's all over. Why ain't we doing that with a human? Just cut his cut his hand a little bit, <laughs> kill him off. Well, I mean, it's the same type of thinking what these annies are doing to the trapper. In a way, like I said, I'm a radical when it comes to that because I've seen in sixty something years. I'm sixty seven years old. I've been in the woods since I was born. I was one month old in the woods. My parents. So I've been in the woods all my life. And I don't listen to what you hear. It's what you see. Because you can always have the untruth of what you hear. But it's what you see with your eyes. Mm. And you can let things go in trapping. And you can kill what's in that trap. Yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to see through that. All the anti- BS about, you know, the animal suffering and everything. And people are kind of looking past that and realizing, you know, okay, I want to, I want to see where my food comes from. A lot of this fur, now people are making their own hats and mittens and stuff. And that's and going to be your next market is specialty I, items only. I think so. And unfortunately, yeah. it's sad that, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of markets that we're going to lose, but I think we're going to gain there. You know, you go right back to that beaver. Like, uh, I would bet in the United States alone, I'm sure nobody's really keeping track, but I would bet there's 250,000 beaver killed a year that are thrown away. Yeah. Think about it. We're a small state. I I bet we killed 5,000 I'd say that's a conservative, yeah. Yeah. You see? So would you throw throw gold away, a natural resource? Would you throw oil back away after you drilled it? They're a natural right resource? <laughs> Here you are with, with trappers and, and, and nuisance controller, and you're throwing stuff away. Yeah. Because uh, there's no market for that nuisance controller. There you go. Here's all these people that are so smart, so educated, know everything. They love their animals, but here we are still throwing them away. Why don't they get smart? Well, I buy them animals you're throwing away. And I'll make something with it. Put and I'll in, make money. Put them in the dog We have food. too much, Charlie. Well, yeah, we're all so greedy is we the have, problem. We have, we have too much. Yeah. yeah. We can get everything we want with no work. You go back to the book I just finished reading, like I say. I'm, of course, Final Frontiersman. Final Frontier. And there they are. A hard way of life. But it was all about food. Hmm. More or less. Everything survival. they did was survival. And, I and there's a lot of people still want to do that. I think when people, people who do that, are happier, yeah. you know, because it is. I bet they live a lot longer too. With no, you can. Hi, he's in his sixties and he looks like he's. Life, you think he, 
you know, yeah. he moves around like he's in his 30s. Yeah. It's just because, yeah, you when you work for something, you feel better at the end of the day, and it means more to you because you've done it. Now, like when I was out in Rocky Mountain National Park, we went out there to do the promotions for the Mountain Man show. Everything we did there was going to end up being something to do with the advertisement for the second and third year of the Mountain Man show. Yeah. And there we went in the Rocky Mountain National Park about uh, 30 miles from, uh, can't even think of the name of the town now, but we were like 75, 80 miles was from that Denver. Colorado? Yeah, we was yeah. in Colorado. And... We went up into this area in the mountains, and they tried to get an area that would be similar to Alaska or similar to Maine or similar to uh, North Carolina and Montana, and they had a pretty good place picked. But here's their force all dying. Yeah. Okay, we filmed there, and they hadn't had much snow. And we got ready to fly out of there, Denver, and snow like crazy. We just barely got out of the friggin' airport. And then spring came, and they already were so worried about fires when we were there, because <laughs> here's all your force. The trees are all dead, and you don't want to cut them? I mean, go back to common sense. Another natural resource you're going to let burn or, or throw away. Uh, it, it flooded so bad. That spring, they got a lot of snow, but then it all started burning, too. So they went through a cycle. Their whole time of the year was not right to keep everything the way it's supposed to be. And you're right back. Is that the humans causing that, or is it the creator causing it? And all the checks and balances. But why throw things away? Hmm. Don't manage what you got. Take care of it. That's what our forefathers did. That's how this why this country was made and made so great. The forefathers do they had to do this, this, and this, and take care of it. We don't they're, do it. Yeah, they were they were more connected to the land. Than yeah. We now you you got a chance to meet Marty Myretto. Yep. On on the show, he's probably like for me from watching the show. A lot of the guys weren't really trappers, but he's probably more of a trapper than than the others. Well, what what happened there too? Just like with me. Uh, Marty was from the Alaska and, and that type of life there being remote and and, and back to uh, living off the line and, and being a trapper. And that was, he told me right there, if they don't pay me more money, he said, I won't be here next year because I lost a lot of money yeah. not being out there able to trap the way I normally do. Right. And that was the highest prices we ever had in the history of trapping in Maine. And I'm, his prices were the highest probably ever, too. When, uh, like, 2013, 14? 20, 2013, that spring, yeah. when the, the Chinese were here so buying. So you, like, you wanted to go hard and catch as much oh, fur as you could. He, I, I got my North American furs, who I sent to. I got my print-off back from that auction. And I think it was the March auction, uh, February auction. I sent it to the February auction at North American. And I got that just before I got on the plane. I stopped, got my mail, and that was in there. And I took it with me to Colorado. Yeah. I showed that to Marty. He had, he sold his Martin for 200 bucks. Oh, they were going for 600 bucks at that auction. Wow. A lot of Martin went for 600 bucks on the Canadian Martin 
in the Alaskan Martin. Wow. And he, that's what he said. Holy frig, I lost some money this year. Yeah, because he could, if he wasn't filming, he could have really trapped. Yeah. yeah. One thing I noticed when, when I went to Alaska, the first thing, I didn't see enough game from the road. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much migration in Alaska is like a lot of places where game migrate, like in Africa or whatever. In Maine, we never had that situation. We're getting more of that with our white-tailed deer now. Our white-tailed deer travel a lot farther to exist. Yeah, to but up there, that's the way it is. Yeah. If you want to see moose, I didn't see much until I got the Arctic Circle. I only seen one bear all the way down around. I would come down from the Arctic Circle back to Fairbanks, went to Tote, back to Valdez, and back to Anchorage. And I seen one bear. Didn't see hardly any little game. But everything, like I say, when I got to the Arctic Circle, that's where the game had migrated to. And then comes back. I was there in midsummer. So, you know, I was disappointed. I get off the plane in Prescott, Maine, and I see more numbers going 20 miles than I've seen in 3,000 miles in Alaska, except for at the Arctic Circle. Yeah. So, it goes to show you, but you're still back. You've got to make, and Marty was a trapper, and, and Tom was a trapper. Yeah. But Tom's specialty was doing fur. Yeah, I mean he he's a taxidermist, and a good one. Uh, I was a trapper, so when you took in too many trappers on the show, really, you can only show, you got to show hunting, you got to show everything well, on yeah, a mountain I mean, man they, show. Yeah, it wasn't just a trapping show. Right? Yeah, that's what I mean. See, so it wasn't just a trapping show. So I could see right off the bat that they're going to have to cut out some of the trapping because they had Richie on there. Richie was actually with the dogs. Was actually got had more audience, and I think probably he was rated better than anybody else that really? second year huh. because of the dogs. Yeah. Some people didn't like what he was doing because you have a lot of stuff that's not the truth. I mean, it's all based on reality, but it's dramatized. But it has to be dramatized to get it done. Right. Yeah. You know, but what he did, he never really killed anything. Yeah. So the dogs, he showed what the dogs could People do. love to watch that stuff. Yeah. You know, and that that part of the show, he, he's the only one, I think, that for second year of the, had 16 episodes. I don't think Tom only had 15. Marty only had 15. I think Richie with the dogs from uh, Montana had the most shows that year. Yeah. So when you look at that, and he never killed a thing. Not really that I seen. Yeah. So... But you're back. What you do now? Tom liked traveling, but he liked. He got older. He was beat up as a rodeo man. Yeah, he, he didn't do a lot of. Tra he didn't. Travel you know, he that. did a certain amount of traveling. Yeah. I was doing traveling. Tom, uh, Marty was doing traveling. You know, and and uh, the guy in Idaho, uh, John, was it? You know, he did three shows. I think. I think his first name was John. I can't remember. I can't remember for sure. But he was a trapper more than anything else, too. He was the one that had the teepee, and he trapped muskrat. It was probably more than anything he ever trapped. And Martin. He was up in the high high ground of Idaho, close to not too far from Yellowstone. But you get too much trapping in a show that, that is a mountain man. Well, you go back to Hollywood and your TV shows, <laughs> and everything was about hunting. It wasn't really about trapping all that much. It was about killing your meal for the day or fighting off a, the Indian or fighting off a grizzly bear. 
and killing whatever, hunting. Well, the mountain man show didn't have enough of that. You could see that right off the bat. Yeah, people. That's what pe- people expected. Something. Yeah. Specific. That's yeah. what they wanted to see was. Yep. What they'd seen in previous movies that Although, didn't amount to nothing. That... I I just watched a John Wayne movie with my boys called The Big Trail. It was back from the 30s, and he was a woofer. That that yeah. character was a woofer back then. He was talking about the old wolf trappers and how many wolf belts they brought in. So. See, we, we go back to our whole country and the whole way we think. It has changed so much since the TV was invented in 1920-something out in one of the Midwestern states, Michigan or, or Wisconsin or Minnesota, one of them states, the guy invented the TV on a farm out there. And we've gone where we have changed so much in America that everybody thinks this is all reality. Well, everything on Hollywood, everything on TV is a lie. The simple basic, they come right out and tell you <laughs> in fine print, don't believe nothing you've seen here. Was that, was that frustrating for you? Uh, well, the part of staging, and, and you're calling it reality. Yeah. But as far as being able to pass something on, all I wanted to do, I had a lawyer. I hired a lawyer when I got the contract. He said, don't sign it. <laughs> he said, don't sign it because you're not going to like the results. But I said, I don't care about the results, how bad they make me look. Do I pass something on? To yeah. somebody that's never done what I've there done. There are a lot of people in the cities that are watching the show that yeah. that don't. And, and uh, I I was told right from the beginning, uh, this show is not for the outdoors person. It's for the people in the cities since nine eleven. They want to know if there's another way to live in America. And what you guys are doing. And that's why the show was blowed up way beyond what they were going to get. And I think they did all right the first couple of years on the rating, but they kept going down and they kept going down. All shows did. Yeah. I mean, it's just everybody, there's so many channels now, people are on YouTube more than yeah. they're watching TV. But it's sad that you can't get the point across without lying about it. But that's why you have to for drama and for to get the drama makes the people like the show better. Did you feel like you were able to show enough about trapping and stuff that you had wanted to? Well, what bothered me, like I say, is the title. Yeah. The title of reality. Like we did the filming on Breakdown and whatever, whatever. They had to do this. They were on a time schedule. And the night after we filmed, I had no spark plugs and couldn't start the sled. We left the camp, and I had a major breakdown that I fixed with a little pocket screwdriver. The keyway in the back clutch fell out. The bolt come on loose, fell out. And right there at 20 below, I took a, I got, I had the flashlight. I'm looking down there, and I said, if I can only get that screwdriver in there enough to hold. And I knew it was the keyway, that little pocket screwdriver is probably a quarter of an inch, and the keyway is three-eighths. And I said, if that can catch just enough, I don't give it much throttle, I might be able to get to the pickup. And I did. It was just bullshit. Now, that's a breakdown. Yeah. It's you fit. That's reality. Reality. Yeah. But they wouldn't refilm that. <laughs> no, they're done. They're whatever. <laughs> now, they wanted to stage something so it would be convenient for when they were yeah. filming and for the show and, and, and this episode. That and, part of the, 
bothered me the most. If you're going to call a show reality, show reality. Yeah. You know, if you got stuck out on the ice and you staged it and you didn't really fall into the water and you spun out, that ain't reality. Yeah. It's when you fall through to the water. It's like those people that was filming us. They didn't want people like me on there that did something right. They wanted somebody that was fanatical. What are they filming you for? Oh, the way we lived. What they were doing a show on the way that it started out to do a show on my lifestyle of living on solar. And oh, okay. My wife was canning one day on the wood cook stove, canning with a wood cook stove, and the head person in charge didn't want that even filmed. And the other girl said, my God, how soon, how often are we ever going to get this on film? Yeah. Was this a show? And they loved that because that's what the people wanted. They never got it sold, I don't think. They didn't want to see nothing about how we really lived on solar and lived off the grid and and trapped and hunted and worked in the woods and all this stuff just to make a living. No, they wanted all reality. Have you ever talked to Tim Smith? The guy that has the survival thing up on the back. I've, I've talked to him once. Yeah, he came into okay. the office. He, he's, uh, he was interviewed he for the Mountain Man. He keeps quiet, though. He did. But he was interviewed for the Mountain Man. But he has done a lot of stuff to get on TV and do stuff. Really? Uh, and he even made shows over, I guess, from what I've been told. He's made some shows, but they never have aired. Just like what Billy's talking about. <laughs> they weren't... Uh, it was done by a production outfit, which can be anybody. It's just like you with that and the camera. Right. You can be a production outfit. Mm. But you got to sell it to the history channel, to the network. Yeah. That's what they did with us. Yeah. And uh, it got so bad that after they did all this and they had the first film to view, they called it. I left up here to go to Madison to a viewing of how we were going to, how this movie thing, was, how this film was going to be shown. Yeah. I wasn't even in it. Really? They didn't have me doing nothing. <laughs> and I'm thinking... And they filmed it, all that footage. And I spent days having them film me doing things. And That's crazy. Day after day. And they never had me even in the huh. film they was going to... And I said, what am I doing here? Yeah, it's a waste of well, time. Well, we thought you might want to see it. I said, what do I want to see this for? (laughs) I said, all the time I've spent with you guys, I said, I'm done. They said, well, don't feel that way. I said, how would you feel if you spent... How much do they pay for it? Yeah, no money. Mm. I spent days, days. That's the thing about all that stuff there. It's all I wanted to see was back to passing something on. Yeah. I didn't care whether it was some guy and... The twin tower that went to the ground, they lived through it. I didn't care whether it was a little kid, as long as they got something from it. Now, a lot of guys talk bad about the other characters. And I would tell everybody, don't knock Marty, don't knock me, don't knock Eustace down there in North Carolina. I said, that man has done this stuff all his life. He's still alive and survived. We all were close to the same age. Uh, Marty was actually probably the youngest. I said, but we've all experienced certain things, and we've got through it. We're still alive. 
we've had problems where you're drowning and you know accidents and you know whatever but we've lived through it we've gone on if you pay attention any one of them guys will show you something yes that's what i always kept and i said that's all i want to see on this show that somebody sees something they've all that they learned the story they didn't know. care about that no not the filming of it see that's what i liked about the the last alaskans is like with Heimel Korth and all those guys. Um, I've talked to some people that were on the show, and it was like, no drama. We're just going to film. And yeah. they just followed them around. Whatever they saw, they saw. Whatever they filmed, yeah. that was that. And you really don't need to make up stuff yeah. in the woods. I mean, there's so much going on. That they called me one Wednesday. And they said, this weekend we're going to film. We want you to go and live trap a beaver so we can show how you live trap beaver and and do what you have to do with it. And I said, well, I said, I, I got a job to do this week. I said, uh, I'll save it for this weekend. And uh, you go with me one day and I'll set the trap and everything. And the next day, if we're lucky, We'll have that beaver, and we'll deliver it to a guy that wants it released in his pond on the 45th parallel. His farm is on the 45th <laughs> parallel, and he'll tell you that because he, he was an old hippie guy, and he just He's into that. He, he thought that was the greatest thing in the world because yeah. his farm was exactly on the... <laughs> which it is, yeah. different. Yeah. So we go, and I set two places to be safe. The first place... In a live trap, I had a live muskrat in a hand-caught trap. <laughs> and they said to me, they said, how often does that happen? I said, this is the first time this has ever happened. Usually they get out. Yeah. At trap. Couldn't get out for some reason. Huh. So I released it, let it go, you know. Opened it. All I did, picked the trap up. He went right out yeah. through the back. <laughs> and... Uh, so they thought that was cool, you know. So we go to the next place, and I have a live beaver. They would not even film that beaver being alive in that trap. Why? They couldn't stand it. <laughs> I said, you people wanted this for film, didn't you? Well, we didn't think it looked this bad, that beaver in there struggling in that live trap. Oh, come on. I said, really? I said, well, so they went, we delivered it at the 45th parallel. We had to drag that trap quarter of a mile down over this <laughs> mountain to this little <laughs> pond he had that was just a shit pond and they was filming that and we get down there and we released the beaver and they thought that was the greatest thing to film that beaver's free and and the beaver oh, just swam around and slap his tail so on. we go back up to the vehicle and get in and I'm thinking, well, this whole, at least, that wasn't even on the film. Yeah. See, on the Mountain Man show, too, they always preached that we want to show the reality as much as possible. And we don't want to offend nobody. We don't want to offend the hunter or the trapper. We don't want to offend the, the animal lovers. So we don't want to take sides. So you tried to film where you weren't doing that, taking sides. Well, that made it hard to keep you doing things. Very far that way. Yeah, there's no way you can... You yeah. can't make a film if you don't do it the way it's supposed yeah, to be. You have to be authentic. And what yeah, they right. did was a show you just said there. What's that called again? The Last Alaskans. The Last Alaskan. And 
on that show there, they're spending more real time with them characters as they live. Mm, Now, with the Mountain Man show, call up and try to find out what the weather was. I see they come in on helicopter there. Yeah. And it was, they wanted the most extreme weather they could get. (laughs) And they never, ever got to Northern Maine to the extreme weather. Every time I'd be telling them on the phone, when you're coming, we'd have the extreme weather right then. Yeah. Instead of coming right then, it's a week later. Week later, come. And there you are. You just had a saw or something. They never got, in the two years I was involved, what they wanted to get for that show. They didn't really want that because they'd have to suffer filming. <laughs> and see, if they would have come the minute they you told them, mm. uh, we had the conditions. See, one of the guys I talked to on the last Alaskans, I think he said they were there for almost a month one time. Yeah. A month straight. And of course, you know, you that remote, they fly in, sometimes you get weather and they just can't get out. In a month, you can see a lot of oh, real yeah. things mm. that are going But they wanted us But if you go for like dying. two days, I'll get a film and then get out. Yeah, they wanted us practically dying in some type of bad weather or <laughs> bad extreme thing. And I said, you got to come people, here. People see through that. The yeah. public, people that oh, are yeah. watching They it. had to come and follow you around if you want to see that. Yeah. So hopefully that's what they did. It was the same way with the, the game board show here. They were coming and filming all these guys. Wardens and they all were saying the same thing. We hope yours turns out better than us where you really got the real. Well, I I said, I don't think it's going to be any different what you guys are doing. Okay, you guys are on your own. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, that was uh, a pain in the butt. Not, you know, nobody uh, getting a real thing. And we had it. You had to be there with your cameras and your crew. Well, one thing about all the cameramen, even the directors of the cameraman crews, they were really good, hard-working young men. Yeah. There was nobody ever over 31 years old that filmed with me for the the 16 episodes I did in two years. There was never anybody older than 31. And they'd been all over, and they filmed hard, all over, dedicated. Uh, some of the stuff, it, it's hard to believe we would do things that they're putting their life on the line to film us. And uh, when you start riding on the skis of a snow sled to film somebody, you know, and I never, you got somebody on your skis and you're trying to steer that snow sled and go right along at 35 miles an hour, you got to know what you're doing. That's for darn sure, I can tell you that. Mm. You get a hundred and fifty to two hundred pound man on your skis. Oh, what a different way to ride! <laughs> yeah. But well, it was the girl that was the best one filming me and stuff. She left that after a while, and she and her head filmer that worked with her, they started their own business, and they right. was at the first sale in Palmyra a year or two later. And she come over and introduced herself again to me, and then I remembered her, you know. Now, we've seen her up too She said she was starting up a new filming program, and she wanted to redo that whole thing that we'd done. And I said, no, I'm not interested. We've seen her at the Nationals, wasn't it? She agreed. She said, I don't blame you. She said, that was a mess, and 
We seen her out to the Nationals, wasn't it? Hamburg, right? Or was yeah, it down to she Ohio? Was, she was out to one of them, too. Yeah. We oh, seen her I out there. I think she was in Ohio. Oh, we seen her in one of them. Ohio or... Yeah. But that's the key to making that kind of movie. You got to be there filming. You can't, you can't just call on the phone and fly yeah. in the crew. Look at the money. Holy day. He spent a lot of money. Yeah. Now that year, first year I was involved, I did 10 episodes. And that year, the History Channel was the network. And they only did two movies with the same amount of promotions that we had. And it was Mel Gibson with God. I think it was, yeah, it was the Mel Gibson and God mm -hmm. and the Mountain Man. That was the most money they put in all their shows that year on promotions. I suppose everything we did there in in Rocky Mountain National Park there west of Denver in Colorado, a lot of that was supposed to end up on uh, the billboards in New York City, hmm. Manhattan. I don't know how much did because I sure weren't going to New York City to look for it. <laughs> I've been down through Manhattan more than once, and that's enough. Well, no shows. Most of those shows are gone now. And it, it's just it's economics. I mean, yeah, you can't make it pay when there's just fewer and fewer people. Like I talked to Stan Zeray from Yukon Men, and and that show was doing great for. Yeah. You've seen that show before? Yeah, I've seen that a couple times. And it was doing great for a couple of years, but then just it went just like Mountain Men. Everything else just went down. Yeah. And, they spend so much money to film See, I don't, shows. I don't have no Dish TV, and I never watched any of it. So. Wow. <laughs> well, in Maine, that was a problem anyway. Uh, I'm surprised, but other, other states have more act, you know, networks and whatever. But Maine never was a good state to have anything like that. Yeah. We don't have that. We never had the, the service. We do now, but we didn't seven, eight years ago. All I know is when we took you to Ohio or Hamburg, which one was it? Ohio was the first Ohio. One. All the kids was all after it. Oh, yeah, they wanted to see the mountain men. Well, I, I, gave, I did just, that's another thing I did right here in Maine. I gave away trap after trap. <laughs> I signed my name, I had my name tag on it, but I wired the jaws shut. <laughs> and I, I said, I give these traps to the kids and the parents, I said, you make sure that you keep an eye on them. It still can be set. <laughs> I said, they don't need to be catching their fingers. That's probably surprising, though, at how many people actually watch that. You know, when you, yeah. you, when you actually realize it, it's like, wow. It's like yours, how many watch that or listen to it that you don't even know. Right. Do you, you think Andy's... Uh, oh, yeah. There may stuff. be a few, yeah, but yeah. no one's really bothered me. I mean, no, but just to get something to. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, you can't tell, so. No, no way of telling, but. But yeah, it's pretty amazing. You you put something out and people can find it from anywhere. Did in the you world. do any filming up in Alaska or Florida yeah. when you was up there doing Yeah, that? I did some Good. videos. I put them up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. There's been. Several thousand people watched it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were... Oh, I did five. I think I did five separate videos, and they were all 15, 20 minutes long. So did yeah. you trap before you went to college? I trapped in high school. A little bit. But I, I just really got going when I was about junior in high school. Yeah. So when you got 
I wanted where that did, when I was Where eight. did you go to school? Here? Fort Kent. Fort Kent College? Fort Kent uh, High School. Uh, high School. But where did you go to college? Orono. Orono. So you got, when you got out of Orono, you ended up in Montana for a job? Utah. I went to Utah, Utah. for school and then I got a job yeah. in Montana, yeah. So did you do any trapping out there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was growing up here as a kid, I wanted to trap. There was nobody around to teach me. Yeah. It was just, like, I I went years. And then finally some guy mm. moved next door to me and he was a trapper. My dad ran into him and said, hey, my son's been wanting to trap forever. Would you teach him? He said, sure. Well, that's how I got trapping. Good. <laughs> See, and then I met Norm and he was the only other trapper in Winterville. See, my, my grandfather, I never knew him. I was five years old when he died. My grandmother, father on my mother's side. He spent a little over a year and a half in the Northwest Territory just before World War One, trapping. And he was with another man called Fred Hess who came to Maine from the Adirondack Mountains. And he was a noted rich family of logging industry in the Adirondack Mountains. But when he came to Maine, he loved it so much he didn't go back to Adirondacks. Really? And he was, like my grandfather, guided for Minnelli Sporting Camps, and he, he worked for Minnelli Sporting Camps. And they worked some for the Libby's and the Will Atkins to a certain amount. Hmm. Uh, Fred Hess is actually buried here in the Ashland Cemetery. No kidding. And uh, they, I guess, my son looked it up. He had a lot to do with a lot of the early logging camps in northern Maine on Great Northern Ground. He helped build a lot of them, but also they were used for guiding hunters. And he was like one of the camp meat providers at these logging camps hmm. to boot. And uh, my son got the lease on Prior Lake that he sold about 10 years ago, he got that lease. And that was, as near as he could find out, was an old set of logging camps on Pride Lake. On the other side. It's on the, be the east shore, south, more or less the east shore. Yeah. Uh, down where that road goes in before, yeah, right there, you know where it is. Anyway, he tracked it back, and he think that was one of the ones that Fred S. had had hmm. for... Great Northern as a logging because they did they put the wood into the lake yep. when they were driving right the logs the river, out of that yeah. campground and uh, also that like I said that Fred Hess was involved with everything he even uh, worked with McNelly's son now everybody goes back to you think this one started this but this Fred Hess had a lot to do with the McNelly sporting camps. And the camps at Machias Lake that Jeff Lively's at now yeah. were McGowan's at one time. Uh, old Fred McGowan, I went there with Dad many times. Fred liked to drink and my dad liked to have a drink or two. And he'd always stop wherever he could find a bottle of booze, so Dad would. <laughs> and I was just a little feller. But anyway, this Fred Hess had a lot to do with all of them. Really? And it's weird, you, you get... My son got on the computer and tracked back, and that's how he found out some more. We don't know how much truth's in it. Yeah. But, see, now my grandfather is in the book called Bush Happy, and it was finished yeah, up Jimmy, by... Jimmy Dumont told me about that book, Yeah. and I, I have not found a copy. Well, there was very few copies made. Now, Dana McNally's wife 
He started the, the writing for the book, but he never got it done before he died. And she finished it up. And I, I, I think probably it got back down after all the camps were sold. Financially, I don't know what it was done, but it was only X amount of books made. I, I think he has a copy. But, yep. I... but my grandfather's <laughs> in that book. Now, I was told my grandfather, I didn't see him on eyes, he guided Ted Williams. But in that book, he's standing there with Bob Cousy and a couple of other ballplayers that played with Bill Russell. Well, Ted Williams used to go to Fish Lake yep. quite a bit. Well, that's where Grant McNally's there on the island. That's yeah. where Grampy guided for, too. Yeah. You know, for McNally's. Yeah. But I wish I would have known him. You know, he went right. up on the McKinsey River. Yeah, now, so old, why did he leave there? Well, he hadn't got married yet. He was up there, and the natives were still pretty hard on the... Yeah, they didn't like set. the white guys trapping up in that And anyway, they, they run into trouble coming back. They come on to, uh, by canoe, they were traveling back down, and they come on to uh, where one camp where the Indians had burnt the camp. And uh, they found one body of a trapper. And that Fred Hesse was with got sick. And now that's what I was told from my grandmother and my uncle. And, uh, but I never seen anything and it was before my time, but I sure would have liked to have known the man because he came into Canada. Both of my grandfathers came to Canada from Europe. Uh, he was an Irishman, McNamara, McNamara. And, uh, he come out to Maine when he was real young. His parents had died young, coming from Ireland, or died in Canada early. And but it would have been nice to known, you know, like Billy had the opportunities to be with his father, which was like he said, more like, like his grandfather. grandfather yeah. But I sort of like to know my grandfather, because he had an automatic pistol. I don't know, it was semi-automatic, and the, the, he said the Indians would stay away from them more, as they were coming back. They'd never seen anything like that. That's what he told my uncle. I got that from my uncle. My uncle and my grandfather, Mac, used to walk from Ashland all the way to the Farrah Pond country in Trot Beaver. And they would stay wherever. They might end up at that McGowan camp. There was another camp they called the Fred King camp. They would stay there. Or in Big Eagle? Well, I'm not sure where. No, I don't know where the Fred King camp was, but they... They would stay, I think he was up in the 1310 area or something oh, at right. one time. Huh. But I don't know for sure. The Reality Road was kind of like the main yeah. trail there at the time. See, in the part of the Reality Road that goes around by Machias Lake to where the dam was, it only went that way to the dam area, to the 1310 Big Brook Road. Uh-huh. You know, so it didn't connect over 20, to the 20 miles. It didn't go through the Pratt Lake. It went up toward the Rocky Brook Road. Yeah, it went up back up through on that twenty mile connector yeah, there. Yeah. Huh. And it didn't get to Pratt Lake till after fifty seven. Really? When my dad was working for the forestry. Huh. He can remember they went across the old Russell Crossing Bridge and you'd go all the way past the outlet of Roll Lake where my camp is, Dead Brook, and you went another couple miles to Inglesbrook. And Inglesbrook there was a forestry camp set there. And that was considered the reality road up to where you got the cutoff that would take you back out through to Bartlett Pond to the reality road where the Bartlett Pond Road goes now. And that was called the Pratt Lake Cutoff. Okay. And then they would come back towards... But that stretch for 
uh, let's see, 20, 23 miles is right beyond, no, 23 miles, right where the 20 mile road goes up to Big Brook. So you got about five, six miles there on the railroad now that wasn't there till 57, <laughs> what my dad told me. That original road, was that part of the California road? No, the California road was north. It came okay. more up in the, the top part of 12-8 and into 13-8, And I don't know if it got into 13-10, but probably more in the 13-12-9. Uh, yeah, 12-8, More close to Carpon, Clayton Lake. Yeah. Okay. You know, I don't know exactly where that went back up to towards Fair Pond. It was more in the twelve, the nine range, where the reality road runs more in the eight range. Yeah, that you know, thirteen eight yeah. twelve. I mean twelve eight. Huh. Yeah, but that was, like I say, I would have loved to know my grandfather and what he'd seen and what he'd done. And yeah, don't you wish these guys all wrote books or? Anything? Yeah, and and then I like I say. I'm only going by what little bit. I weren't into it too young, and I didn't really hear much from a grandparent or an uncle. And I would have loved to known what he did in Bar Harbor, but I was told that he he helped Rockefeller wanted to start a seal farm on, on Mount Desert Island, and how much I have no idea. Yeah, would have liked to seen something, but he died of cancer when I was five years old. I'd seen the man, but he was quite the old uh, beer drinker, Schmitz, old Schmitz. <laughs> and in that book by uh, Bush Happy, Bush Happy uh, Danny McNally talks about picking him up at Dean's and getting him down the plane, and he'd been <laughs> in the Dean's there drinking, and he was taking him to Fish Lake, and he had to piss so bad, and he said, how do I pull over up here? He, said, he had a beer bottle in his head. He said, you finish drinking that and use that to piss it. <laughs> That's yeah, the stories I heard about Grant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would have liked known him. Oh. Now, my dad would talk about, my dad did. Uh, my mom was married, and she got divorced, and then dad got hooked up with her, and... Uh, Dad used to go with my grandpa Mac trapping beaver some all the way out through back there in the 40s. And uh, he'd talk about they would hide booze and they'd be coming along <laughs> in the middle of the night. And he, his grandpa would say, I see it right over here. I got a bottle in that tree over here. And Dad said they'd get over and they'd pour around and they'd find it. Sometimes they wouldn't, but they'd have a good drink, put it back, and keep on going. <laughs> Yeah. Stashing away supplies. Yeah, I wish I'd have wrote a lot of the memos that my father told me about so that I could have... Yeah, the sto like the stories when you were just a kid. That yeah. yeah, because you never remember them all, you know. No. And, you did, and they, were, yeah. they were so interesting just sitting there listening. Well, it got you yeah. to be wanting to be a trapper. Yeah, mm. wanting to do it myself and live that lifestyle. And, oh. and uh have somebody really tell you what was happening back then. And yeah, I'd like to be able to write stuff like yeah. that myself into that, a book. That would be it. an amazing book. Yeah, it's like Billy. He, he could, 
sure he's seen things that if he manly could get on it, he'd probably do a good job. The Manly Hattie story is pretty is a pretty decent story about when he came up into Sasuncook in yeah. that area. Have you read through all that? Hmm? Have you read that? No, but I'd like to. Yeah, that's a, I I haven't got it. I need to, but it's it's a lot. Yeah. I guess it's hard to find a copy of it. It's pretty hard. But yeah. Jerry Braley has a copy of it. That's why I call Danny Wagner manly. <laughs> See, and you go back to that type of thinking right there, and back to Hardy. What was his time frame versus Thoreau? Probably yeah. close to the same time over, frame. There's yeah, some overlap. There was, right there. there was overlap there. Yeah, that's what I mean. So he could have knew Thoreau on that trip. See, that was in the 1800s when he came yep. in to that area and trapped and spent the winter. And the book tells how he made uh, boots. I don't know how many different pairs of boots he made out of the moose that they shot out of the front legs because they'd wear them out, you know, just leather. Yeah. And they survived. But that must have been a hard survival. And I, I'm wondering how they... Got all of those supplies to last them through the winter up in there because they they come up through Brownville on the railroad to Brownville in by uh, Kentaden Ironworks. Yeah. And then they carried canoes across different mountains and stuff to watersheds that took them eventually towards the area that they trapped. So they had a hard journey just to get in there. Yeah. And uh, they, they trapped with Indians, and the Indians saved them. The Indians, yeah, they, they they did a lot of the work, packing stuff, guiding yeah, them, showing where to go. All we ever see. They made deadfalls. Most because of, of Hollywood, all we see is yeah. the, the fighting, but everybody worked as a team. A lot more people think to survive. Yeah. Had to. Had to. Well, you know, you, you wouldn't... Uh, Somebody knew the area like an Indian. You weren't going to scare him off. You're going to try to find out. Yeah, you know. It's but all we ever see, like I say, is the bad part of the and world. And you pay him a little bit, yeah. and you save a lot oh, in yeah. trouble. And you know, you like it's like trying to reinvent the wheel, try to figure out how to get through this mountain. You know, if they know where the pass is. They've been traveling it for twenty years. See, it's like with me. I grew up in a time frame, but with my father being in the forestry. I've seen things of a lot of older people tied to the forestry. And the, the old, I helped crank up some of the old hand-cranked telephone wire. Sierra Martin's father and I and my dad rolled up about 40 miles of that wire. What was his name? Is it Sierra? Sierra, right? yep, Sierra yeah. Martin. I can remember when we trapped in Jackman and stuff, that wire was strung all through the world. Oh, yeah. Too. That was the network. Back there yeah. through the turn of the century, nineteen hundred, right on through the each one the of 70s. those. It went to each one of those driving dams yeah. all through this country. Oh yeah, because they'd have to signal each other when, when yeah. it's time to open up. the We water need so much water, yeah. and every dam and every fire tower. I mean, that was the network. Sporting camps were tied in with yeah. it. But there's no doubt, back in that time frame, you know, it would have been nice to wrote down more material. It was like Billy with his father and. Now, the best biscuit cooker I've ever seen in my life was on Horseshoe Fire Tower, which they call Rocky Brook on the main gazetteer, yeah. but yeah. there's a book printed out about fire towers, and it's called Horseshoe. 
and uh, they're at 32, 33 mile on the reality road. And that old guy, I used to stay with him when I was eight, nine years old for about a week in the summer. Dad and I would go and bring him in his supplies, and then I, we'd stay and fish with him. There's no fish in that pond. Well, they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> used to be. No one should bother fishing there. There's nothing. I had some of the worst biscuits I ever ate. You ever watch Red uh, Dead River Rough Cut? No. <laughs> yeah. You never right. seen that, Charlie? No, I've been wanting to see that. I've seen, I don't know. I might Walter have seen a little Lane. bit of it, but Walter Lane and and Wag. Did you know them, guys? I spent a night in their camp. Really? My uncle and I were going in there ice fishing <laughs> when they opened Spencer Lake for the first time back years ago, and they opened it for the last fifteen days of ice fishing. And we were going to go in and fish it at night, catch them big toad at night. And we didn't know it was illegal to fish toge at night in there, but they, <laughs> at that time you couldn't fish toge at night in Spencer. That was one of the agreements, I guess. So we get to their camp, and the warden was there that I knew, because I was in the guards with him, Lloyd Trafton. Big Lloyd, he was there, drinking with them. Lloyd got them guys in a biscuit baking contest. <laughs> And we, we was all drunk drinking, you know, and having a good time. And they used up every bit of flour they had that night making biscuits. And you couldn't eat either one of them in biscuits. <laughs> and Lloyd would laugh. He'd tell one, oh, the, he beat you this time. you got to try again. And they they made biscuits all the night. And, but make the long story short... <laughs> Lloyd says to us, he says, what are you guys doing in here this time of night? I said, we're going down and we're going we're gonna to fish them narrows for Big Toad tonight. He said, no, you're not. He said, Mike Collins, who was another warden, he didn't like Mike Collins, evidently. <laughs> Mike Collins is down and he's under a camp down there in a sleeping bag, freezing to death, waiting for somebody like you guys to get in there to fish illegal. <laughs> he said, you guys are going to stay right here tonight. Because he knew me real well being in I said, okay. So, <laughs> next morning we get up and we go to the lake. We get there about daybreak. Oh, geez, it was cold. And there's Mike Collins. He's just coming out of that sleeping bag. And Lloyd takes us down and shows us the trail to go. So Lloyd goes over and talks to him and stuff. Wasn't talking stuff. And he takes off. <laughs> and uh, I never laughed so hard as I laughed that night. I don't think we slept all night. We just drank and laughed and tried to eat biscuits. You couldn't even bite. And th that Dead River Rough Cut is exactly what those guys would live like. See, that's legitimate. That is, that that is no reality. There's no reality there. Those two guys are crazier than two <laughs> tomcats, queerer than hell. But they, it yeah. was, yeah. you and, just, and I, I mean, we were in tears laughing at them guys, yeah. the things they did that night. And they loved it. They thought they were doing the greatest thing in the world. And that's one of the most popular shows around. I don't oh. wonder why it was real. It was legitimate, yeah, yeah it, was, it was real. They were good. And then I got a chance to trap against them in a cheeny pond one night. <laughs> this pickup, they had the road plowed almost to where we were staying in there. And this, these lights stayed on down there and all night. 
And we'd already been in there for two weeks trapping. We had the beaver caught right there. And then when daylight come, my father says, go down and see who them friggin' people are down there in that vehicle. They must have run out of gas by now because it's cold, you know. And they'd stopped plowing the road. And there was this much snow in the road then. And they was in there in the two-wheel drive pickup, them two bastards. This Walter Lane and this other guy. And uh, they said, uh, you trapping in here? And I said, yeah, we've been in here for two weeks trapping. Oh, Jesus Christ. We were going to go set them beaver up, up above your camp. I said, go for it, but there ain't many left. <laughs> well, I guess we won't bother, they said. So they took a drink, and away they went. Back up, never see them, no, never see them again. <laughs> so I asked Lloyd, I says, what made those guys drive? Well, he says, somebody told them there was a hell of a colony of beaver on Cheney Pond. They they decided they were going to leave the forks and drive all yeah. the way up there to that one colony of beaver. They drove by 35 colonies to get to that one. <laughs> but they were just out drinking and raising hell, evidently. Yeah. But yeah. I went back up and told the old man who it was. <laughs> we knew him from before anyways. Could they trap down around the forks and stuff. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed that. It was great uh, to, to sit down with those old-timers and get some of the history. Uh, always valuable. You can always pick some things up uh, from, from talking with those guys, and I'm glad we're getting a chance to finally record some of this stuff that has been lost. Uh, a lot of the history has been lost in the past, and it's kind of cool to get this uh, on uh, on record and, and something for younger generations to to uh, not to lose so with that let's get into our Cots brothers deal of the week again by the time you listen to this i will have already purchased um you have heard on this if you've listened to all the episodes of this podcast you've probably heard about kyle Cots's uh, trapping out in new mexico and you also probably heard uh jp wilson he talked about trapping in new mexico and he wore out this DVD that Kyle made. It was called Trapline Anecdotes New Mexico Sandhills Trapping or Sandhills New Mexico Trapping DVD. JP just wore this thing out because he wanted to go out west and trap. And he uh, he went out and, and um, had a, a great deal of success. It's just a, one of those places that there's a lot of opportunity to go out and trap. If, you've, if you're in the area awesome place to trap awesome DVD to pick up information from if you're not in the area and you want to go out west and trap this is a great opportunity to pick things up and uh, see what Kyle did on his New Mexico trap line and uh, where he found success um, just a, a really um, really informative and, and entertaining DVD so this is your opportunity to get the DVD for 50% off half price guys um, this is quite a deal. So if you go to cotsbros.com and find this DVD, it's regular 30 bucks. You use the code NMDVD, NM as in New Mexico, DVD, all caps. 50% off, you get this thing for 15 bucks. And DVDs ship cheap. So if that's all you order, you're going to have cheap shipping. Uh, if not, uh as always, you tack on a few things, and, and uh, that always helps uh, overall to reduce the shipping of the overall order. So check that out at costbros.com. NMDVD for 50% off of Kyle's Trapline Anecdotes New 
Mexico Sandhills Trapping DVD. Thanks again, guys, for supporting the podcast, supporting Kyle, buying the Walter Arnold book, uh, and uh, and and getting on that Onyx Maps. Really appreciate all of that. It helps keep things moving. And uh, we're going to just crank right along through the summer here. We're going to get into fall. The days are going to get shorter. We're all going to be preparing for getting going on the trap line. And who knows, maybe the fur market's going to come back uh, one of these days. But uh, hope you all enjoyed that. And keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.